Our scripture reading this evening is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Richard. If uh, we haven't met, I'd uh, love to meet you. I'm uh, one of the pastors at uh, Bridges, which is that little church plant that was kind of born out of the way, so it's good to be back here uh, with y'all. Um, but uh, yeah, we're looking at a series, kind of wrapping up this actually short series that we've had. It's uh, called The Generous Life, and we talked about time a couple weeks ago, and the last week was about treasure. And today, uh, we're looking at uh, talent, uh, you know, all these T's, how clever, right? Um, but uh, uh, the question, of course, is uh, talk about talents and using talents in a way that's, uh, that's generous, uh, using our gifts for others. Now, I have to admit, most of us probably don't need to be convinced that, you know, serving and doing good things for others is, is actually a good thing. Um, if you're a believer, um, if you've been in the church at all for, for whatever amount of time, you've probably heard that. It's not a surprise. And this is probably a bad way to begin a sermon. Like, what I'm saying is something you probably already know and don't need to hear. Um, but, you know, if you're not a believer as well, um, maybe just checking out church, uh, you know, you probably also don't need to be convinced that serving others is a good thing, to do uh, good things in the community. Um, you know, I'd be willing to bet, and I know this is not a contest, but I'd be willing to bet that uh, the passion and the effort that you um, feel and put into the community is greater than most of the believers in this room. At least I know probably more than me. It, um, the, the desire to do good in our society, um, in the American society, is, is so great. And I think this is a beautiful thing. And if you're not a believer, though, I would like you to know and just wonder if you know that uh, this desire to do good, to kind of uh, serve others, to kind of pay it forward, uh, that echoes uh, something very real and something very true that Jesus said and exemplified. You know, the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus saying that it's better to, uh, sorry, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so that desire that maybe you have or as a believer, you kind of aspire to. This is all stuff that kind of reflects in what Jesus has said and done. And so today, you know, I don't want to kind of rehash a lot of all this stuff, but I do want to explore one way that the Bible does express and talk about talents um, and our natural abilities. You know, the Bible teaches that everybody, uh, everybody, whether you're a believer or not, has abilities and aptitudes to work and to do good things uh, for, um, you know, for the sake of uh, God's creation because we're all made in God's image but also, at the same time, for followers of Christ, there is something more. Uh, the Bible calls them spiritual gifts. Uh, that is to do good in the name of Jesus. Now, it's kind of difficult and maybe not even entirely necessary to distinguish between like natural talents and abilities and then spiritual gifts, but I think it is actually helpful for all of us just to see how the Bible talks about spiritual gifts and to understand how and why that the way we handle gifts and also our talents are a crucial part of a generous life. 
So uh, what we're going to do is we'll look at just the origin of gifts in the Bible and why we use them for others. And then uh, a little bit more specifically, you know, what exactly are, are these gifts? But uh, before we dive into this, let me just invite you to kind of pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, maybe this Sunday, and we need to hear, gosh, we need desperately to hear a word uh, from you. No matter where it is that we've been, maybe this past week, what's been on our minds, what's been weighing upon our shoulders, but we need a glimpse, we need, a, we need, a, uh, we need hope uh, from you, and something that's going to lift us beyond our normal inclinations what we set our eyes upon and uh, set them upon larger things, beautiful things, wonderful things, things that are really too wonderful for us. And Lord, I pray then that the words of my mouth, the, the meditations then of all of our hearts as we look in your word, that these things are pleasing, pleasing to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, origin of talents, uh, spiritual gifts, um, and this, uh, this verse uh, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, uh, it's kind of the key one we're going to sit on for just a little bit here. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so this word manifestation, it's not really a word that we use these days. I don't know when's the last time you ever said manifestation. <laughs> I mean, I haven't, but uh, uh, except this morning when I was preaching the same sermon. But, um, you know, uh, manifestation, um, it kind of means... Uh, Showing, uh, and I actually looked this up in the dictionary, so here's the actual definition. An indication of the existence or the reality or presence of something that might not be obvious. In other ways that people translate that word manifestation is like disclosure. Um, in other words, what is being disclosed here is a manifestation of the spirit. And when Paul says spirit here, he doesn't mean uh, some sort of vague, a spiritual sort of power, kind of like you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, like the force that kind of gives you special abilities. What Paul is talking about here when it says spirit, he says the spirit is actually the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible teaches that if you are a believer, that uh, the Holy Spirit, that is God himself, uh, dwells in the person, uh, the believer. So if you have faith in Jesus, then God himself is personally present with you. And so when Paul talks about a manifestation of the spirit, he's talking about something that may not be obvious to someone who's just looking at you, but there is a manifestation, a disclosure of what might not be obvious, and it gets expressed in gifts. So it's kind of like, you know, a person talking about a manifestation, it's kind of like a person who might say, hey, his smile, her smile is a manifestation of joy. It's an indication of something that may not be entirely obvious, but it gets expressed in a smile on a person's face. Now we know, of course, in the selfie generation, right? I'm horrible at selfies. You ever take selfies? Like, I'm like bad at this. Like, you do the selfie. A smile is a smile, sometimes. It's not necessarily a guarantee of joy. In fact, when you're taking a selfie, it's often quite the opposite. Like, I'm the least joyful. I just need to take a picture with so-and-so. But, you know, a smile is not necessarily a guarantee of joy, but a smile expressed fully and purely, it is an indication of something deeper that is, may not be entirely obvious. So when we're talking about spiritual gifts, yeah, a gift doesn't necessarily mean that that is actually the manifestation of God himself in a person, but chances are also very good that a gift that is kind of bubbling up and working, it is a manifestation of something that is beyond that person. So that's what Paul is talking about here. These spiritual gifts, he says, it is a manifestation of God's spirit in that person. Now, uh, kind of taking this into the, 
the way the world talks about gifts and talents then. Now, talents, they tend to focus then attention, you know, in the world's eyes, talents focus our attention upon ourselves, right? What I can do, and talents are kind of what I might want to acquire and pick up, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but during COVID, like, we've had, like, unfortunately a long time of being alone. How many of us have tried to pick up COVID sort of talents? Like, I know I have, like, my latest COVID hobby, tried to play the bass, it's horrible, but hey, I'm going to do it anyways, because hey, I think it's going to make me cool, right? It's going to be, it's kind of fun. I do things for my personal fulfillment. Um, and so, you know, like for me, and the way the world talks about talents, like these things are, hey, it's about, it's about me. It's like what I get to do and what I get to pick up myself. But when the Bible talks about gifts, and also by extension talents, it's not really what I actually do. It's a manifestation of something that's beyond me, that's outside of me, that is upon me, and also you. So this is the, what the Bible's talking about. So also, um, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. It's also a, um, Bible says, it's uh, to each is given. And that word given, it's again that these skills that we have, they are not something that we have somehow learned or acquired for ourselves. And again, contrast this with Paul talking about these the people in the Corinthians, uh, in the Corinthian church. Um, if you know the church of Corinth, they're just kind of reading the rest of the letter. Uh, Corinth at that time was, uh, it's a kind of very affluent very cosmopolitan, very influential city. And you kind of read over the rest of the letter, and you can see how even proud um, and well-to-do and um, maybe accomplished these people are, and especially in the world's eyes, we're looking at Corinth. Look at all those, you know, look at all those accomplished and successful people, just so much more, you know, put together than the rest of, you know, most people in that time. And of course, the temptation for accomplished people is to look back at all the things that they have done. And when we do that, we either get really kind of smug and satisfied or kind of anxious that maybe my accomplishments are just not enough. My skills don't match up to this person who's right next to me. And that's kind of how Corinth is. And I wonder, like, that's also kind of, right, that's LA too, right? This is, this is where we are. A bunch of accomplished people Look back at what Paul is saying here. He says, to each is given a gift. The talents that kind of focus our attention upon ourselves, and if I'm thinking that way, and I do often, sadly enough, focusing on my talents makes me, makes me look and see my kind of lack of talent. And then on the flip side, what the Bible is calling us to do is we're focusing on our gifts, though what the Spirit has put and given to you, then focusing on gifts is actually very humbling. It's not about me anymore. It's about what this giver has given. So in other words, gifts, you know, they're, they're not from ourselves. They're not for my, uh, it's not about me. It's about the person who has actually given. And I don't know how, how to say about this, but uh, it's the Spirit who is expressing himself through you and me. And so there's, it's actually nothing to be proud of. And it's also nothing to be intimidated by or envious of when we look at another person because it is the Spirit who is manifesting, who is giving His gifts to all believers. And the last thing about uh, this uh, verse here, it's like to each is given, and it's a beautiful thing. That these, these are the talents, these abilities, these gifts, they're given by the Spirit. They're 
a expression, a manifestation of this relationship, this God himself, this person who's with us. It is a, it's, a, it's a presence of love that brings out a joy that kind of expresses itself like a smile. It's a, it's a, it's a presence of God in, in, uh, in all believers. And the last thing that Paul says here in verse 7 is, to each is given a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit, and it's for, it's for the common good. It's for the common good. And what this really means in Paul's situation here, he's talking about the, the Corinthian community, it's talking about serving the community, that body of Christ. And this is also really important, I think, to just kind of consider Corinth at that time. You know, Corinth was, uh, you know, it's a church Paul's writing to. If you read earlier parts of the letter, we just see how the struggles are going on in that church. Um, it's very, very individual, indiv- sorry, individualistic. Um, the Corinthians are kind of breaking into factions. If you read earlier in chapter one, they have that kind of famous verse that I love. He says, they're arguing, and some guy says, hey, I follow Paul. Another person says, well, I follow Apollos, right, some other leader. And then he says, I follow Cephas. Yeah, this other guy says, I follow Jesus. I love that guy. He says, I follow Jesus. I still identify with him. He's kind of like, oh, I'm over, you know, I'm kind of over theologians, you know, more theological than you guys. It's like, but I love that because it's just like me. That's what I do. So even if you're right, you're still wrong, right? I mean, that's just the whole point of that part. But it's just this factionalization, this individuals biting at each other. And then notice then, back to these gifts, the beautiful thing, verses four to six. Who is involved in giving these spiritual gifts? Every person of the Trinity is mentioned. The Holy Spirit, the Lord, that's Jesus, and then God the Father. Let me just read that again. Verses four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, that's Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them for everyone. So in other words, here we go. It is God in three persons who's giving these gifts, individual persons, but there's unity and there's, there's harmony. And for a church like Corinth, where everyone's biting at each other, and pulling each other and kind of expressing, hey, I am this, and I am that, and this is my personal expression, these, these spiritual gifts. Yeah, they may be diverse, but there's incredible unity and harmony that they're bringing all those, all those people towards. And it is then for the common good. Gifts are, again, then not for ourselves, not to puff ourselves up, but to build up others. So in other words, these gifts, these spiritual gifts that Paul is talking about here, they are made for us to kind of wonder and to gawk at God. Now, the world's ways of looking at talents, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know if this is an old show. I was in the UK at the time, but, you know, they had this show called Britain's Got Talent. I don't know if you ever saw that. I think there's an American version, too. Like, it's like you put this person on stage, they're singing, they're doing all this sort of stuff, and like, oh, like the spotlight is on that person, because that's the way our world thinks about talent. It's like a beautiful thing that's like, oh, look how amazing that person is. But the way that the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, it's not about how amazing that person is. It is a manifestation of something that's outside of that person. And it is a gift that somebody outside of that person has given. And it's a beautiful thing, not for the sake of that person, but for the common, common good. And this is like, I think, a just incredibly beautiful 
thing. We should think of talents and abilities as stuff that we cultivate for our own personal enjoyment, our own advancement, so we might be more valuable at work, right? We might have some sort of more personal fulfillment in our, our private time. But God's gifts, God's gifts are for the building up of the body. God intends these gifts and talents to bless others and then to serve others and to ultimately have us gawk not at some amazing person, but to gawk at God himself, the giver of all good things. This kind of moves us then from you know, where these spiritual gifts come from and then why we use them to serve because this is what Paul's talking about. He says it's for the common good. So here's the question, of why, why, you know, why do we actually use these gifts to serve? You know, uh, what does it mean really to serve? It's like putting others' needs above our own. Um, you know, there's, there's many kind of benefits to serving, right? And this is some, some of the Bible will talk about it. Sometimes we even think about it as believers in the church and sometimes we just, as you know, volunteers doing stuff, there's many benefits, right, to serving. There's something like, uh, you know, Bible will talk about even like, you know, self-knowledge, like you know, surprising ourselves with the presence of these abilities that we have to, to do good and, and we learn more about ourselves and even learn more about others as we're serving together. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And then there's other things like, uh, other benefits like community, like when you're serving together with others, you get to, you know, make some friends, right? And I know people who come to church and that's what we want to do, right? We, we serve together, you join a team, you do some amazing things and get, you know, build friendships as part of a community. Other things that we get to do is like, oh, there's, there's a personal fulfillment in serving, and these are all beautiful things, like just seeing the, the works that I do that's far bigger than myself, that is something that I actually had a hand in, something that actually someone blessed somebody, that, those are amazing things. And the paradox, though, of course, serving is that those are all really great benefits, but they're also just side effects. Because if we serve to get those benefits, if we serve to get those benefits for ourselves, then really those benefits hardly ever come. And this is kind of the, that strange sort of paradox here, and there's a caveat here. I just kind of have to throw out here. If we serve for those benefits, they will hardly ever come. And I've been in the church, not this church necessarily, but I've been in God's church for a long time. I don't know about you. I've tried to serve in many different places. I've talked to many people who've served. I don't know if this is you, you and your boat. But... Um, I've talked to many people who've served and they end up just kind of disappointed and uh, you know, kind of bitter, uh, kind of burnt out by serving, serving others. Because, you know, I jump into those situations, we think, hey, I'm going to get to know, you know more about myself. I'm going to be connected to others in community. Maybe I'll get some sort of fulfillment by, by doing these great works of services. You know, these are, and these are all good and beautiful things. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always turn out that way, right? Um, and when it doesn't turn out that way, we're just disappointed. We do many different things. We end up blaming someone, which I've done many times, sadly. We blame the church. And then we blame the system. That's the one I always do because that's kind of, you know, not personal. <laughs> I blame the system, right? Um, or I blame a bad fit, right? It just doesn't kind of work out that way. It's no one's fault, right? But it's not working. But consider again that if we're serving for those benefits, things like community, fulfillment, even just self-knowledge, if we're serving for those things and, we don't, and they don't come, who are we actually serving at the end? Who are we actually serving when we're disappointed by those things? We want to point fingers. 
know there's many caveats because I, I get it. We're all mixed bags, in other words. We are mixed bags of motives, mixed bags of emotions. We're all kind of messed up, and we all bring all sorts of baggage. And I don't want to say that, hey, when you're serving and you're disappointed, that's the real reason. But it's just a longer story, and there definitely is. But we have to see and understand when the Bible is talking about serving and giving ourselves to others, the purest and the biblical reason to serve is not for those things. Those are side effects of serving. The benefit is that it really is just the way of Jesus. It's just the way of Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, talking about Jesus, says, you know, for even the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, he came not to be served, but to serve. This is his very nature, this is his very heart. And then also to give his life as a ransom for many. So we just have to look at the way that Jesus served and poured out his energy, his attention upon others. And it's just absolutely astounding to me, just the crowds that flocked around him and the care and the attention that he gave to each and every single one. And you know, I don't know about you, but like I'm an introvert. If like there were crowds flocking around me, like there's no way that I would give adequate care and attention and even pouring out time and energy upon each and every single person. But you see the way Jesus does that. He's walking through a crowd and someone touches his cloak and he turns around and says, who touched me? Right? He's, he's, he's that type of guy. That sort of generous in heart, generous in the way he handles his time, the way he handles his care and affection. It, it, it's almost reckless, like the way he pours himself out for others, getting up so early in the morning just because there's so many crowds around him and he needs that time to be with his father so he would be ready, right, to face all, all the needs that are around him. This is just who Jesus is. And we can go on and on about that, but you have to ask, like, well, was Jesus ever disappointed then right, in the people that he served? Like when his friend Judas betrays him, was he disappointed? Or when his closest friends fell asleep on him when he asked them to pray for him, like, was he disappointed? Like, I mean, I think so, right? Absolutely. And what does Jesus do when he's disappointed by all these people that he's serving? Like he intentionally and lovingly and even joyfully dies, gives himself more for them. He gives his life as a ransom for many. That's what Mark chapter 10 talks about. You know, I don't say this in the sense of, hey, look, Jesus gave sacrificially, and why can't you too? I mean, that's, not the, that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, I want to say that so many people disappointed Jesus. His closest friends, they fell asleep on him. But come on, literally we have all disappointed him. I mean, have you ever fallen asleep on Jesus? I mean, have you ever listened to a sermon? I mean, like, you know, and drifted. I mean, have you ever tried to pray? Like, oh my gosh, you see me trying to pray on the sofa? It's like we've all disappointed Jesus in so many different ways. And what I mean by that is that, yes, we're disappointed, but Jesus has sacrificially poured himself out and saw our disappointments, and he still died for us anyways. So it's not like, hey, look at Jesus and be like him, but look at Jesus and see just how much we have disappointed him, and we are beneficiaries of that incredibly generous life that Jesus has. He pours himself out for very disappointing people, you and I. And when we kind of grasp that, it's like, oh, 
that generous life is, we get to taste it, not in the sense that we were Jesus, but that we just tasted just how good of a work he's done for people that he loves. So when we look at Jesus, it's like all the, all the things that he's done for our sake, it just kind of changes us. We, we kind of admire and then aspire to that generous life because we taste just the benefits of what he has done in that way for you and I. In other words, the life that Jesus lived is, is the absolutely generous life, and it is the absolutely good life, and we get to see that and taste that in that way. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit is working and manifesting in his people, he is making us to be less like ourselves and more like Jesus in his character, in his loves, and in his joys, and in his generous heart to serve. In other words, his life, the generous life, is actually just the good life. In other words, like Jesus' generous life is the pinnacle of what we ought to aspire to and hope for because we have tasted just how good it is. You know, the good life is not, it's not like me planning out my next vacation to Maui, which we are doing, but it is like something that I'm yearning for. I know it's going to be great, but it's not the good life. And the good life is not opening up that next Amazon package because like, you know, I'm waiting for like this thing that I'm going to get. That's not the good life. The absolute good life is the way Jesus handles himself. Even with the most disappointing persons, he continues to pour himself out more and more. And it is joy for him. It's kind of mind-boggling to consider. And, you know, I, and when I stop and think about it that way, I think, is that, is that even real? Is that even possible? And, uh, you know, for believers, I just want to suggest, and I, I don't want to say this in a way that kind of elevates me or whatever it is, but I, there's, there's been moments in my life, I've been a pastor for a while, where I've actually tasted that and seen that that actually is possible. And my wife and I, my wife's Danette, I don't know if you met her, but you know, before we had kids and all this stuff like that, we were just kind of getting into a rhythm of ministry and just kind of learning how that works. And, and there's, there's a lot of like, moments where we had no idea, and then there's, there's some very few moments where we're like, oh, I'm catching a glimpse of the goodness of these things. And I, I definitely remember the, the, probably the first time this happened was, it was a Sunday, Danette and I had, um, it was a full Sunday, we had done all sorts of things and um, just pouring ourselves out for, for others, which is, and again, not that we're great or anything like that, but I just remember this one moment at the end of the day, it was like past midnight, we just cleaned up stuff and uh, we were just like so exhausted. I remember talking to Danette and she said, I am so tired. And I said, I am so wiped out too. And then she said, and when can we do it again? I was like, oh. And at that moment, I, I was reflecting upon it later. I was like, oh, that's, that's a tiny glimpse. It doesn't happen all the time, for sure. But this tiny glimpse of, hey, being emptied is not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. And it just made me think, that's actually the way Jesus is. We think that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Absolutely, because Jesus lived that out completely. And as empty, and you know what, in our world today, when we say we're empty, right, almost everybody says, oh, that's, that's a horrible thing, you gotta go self-care, all stuff like that, right? But when Jesus is empty, he's emptied in such a beautiful way, and it is a good thing. And we're filled by the Spirit and serving others. I would suggest that is actually what he's talking about, and it's more actually blessed to give than to receive. It's, it's a paradox. 
let's push on here. This really, really, what are what are these things that we're talking about when these these gifts are manifested? I mean, there's you know, Paul says there's a variety of gifts, there's a diversity of expression, and there's the you know then there's there's many ways the Bible talks about these things, and there's three broad categories. But you can look up all these different gifts in, in the Bible. There's First Corinthians 12, this chapter. There's First Peter chapter four. There's you know Ephesians chapter four, you know, all all over the place. I don't have time to kind of dive into all of them, but they are kind of organized in three kind of broad categories. And these broad categories theologians like to do is like they reflect the character, the, the roles of Jesus himself. There's the, you know, Jesus is often called the prophet and the priest and the king. And even these gifts that the Bible talks about are also kind of in those categories. There's prophetic gifts, meaning that it's kind of presenting God's truth uh, to others in a way that kind of helps them to believe. It's, uh, it's maybe teaching and maybe explaining the Bible in a way that helps others to kind of just understand and see God a little bit more. Maybe it's understanding or discerning truth that may be kind of confusing, but when, when we hear them, this is, these are things that we're thinking about. Um, there's, you know, there's priestly gifts, and again, these are not like all mutually exclusive or that one person has a monopoly and all these things. These, these gifts are all kind of mixed up. And the Bible will say, hey, like, you know, not everybody has all of them, but, you know, there's priestly gifts in the sense that it's bringing others before God. You know, if, if prophetic gifts are bringing God to others in a way that they understand their truth, priestly gifts are kind of bring others who may be not able to come to God. They're, they're fumbling, they're confused, they're brokenhearted. A priestly gifts are bringing those people before God in a way that's kind of listening to them in a way that you know, maybe those are weighed down, they, they feel stuck. It's, it's listening to them in a way that actually makes them feel heard. Um, maybe talking to them in a way that they're not feeling lectured at. I mean, I don't know, like, that's not me. Like, anyways, it could, be, it could be practical help uh, that empowers and doesn't take uh, away the other person's dignity, doesn't make the other person feel small. Um, there's kind of kingly gifts, uh, the third category, you know, representing uh, the vision of God, Christ's vision to others. You know, maybe it's a gathering people, rallying people to do godly service, maybe putting people in position to thrive, to administer things, to help people to, to kind of see uh, their, their good works in, in God's kingdom. I mean, there's also all those sorts of gifts, and I could, they all fit together in so many different ways, and each person has a, has a manifestation and expression of the Spirit in a very unique and wonderful way. So specifically here, though, Paul says that all these gifts, you know, whatever it is, and I don't know about, you know, who and, and how you are, but specifically all these gifts that God has given to each person, they are unique in their mix. They are all beautiful, and God has prepared all these things for you to do good works. And this is what he calls us to as the body of Christ. And uh, when Paul's talking about this, yeah, it's the good works in the church. That's what he's talking about at this part of particular point. And you might stop and say, well, what is then the work of the church? Right? He's like, oh, hey, Richard, are you telling me to join a committee? Like, I know Tim would love me to tell you, join a committee, right? I mean, that's like the work of the church. That's my church baggage, by the way. I'm like, sorry, it was a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> Whenever we want a church to serve in the church, everyone says, oh, hey, just join a committee. What is the work of the church? Maybe it is join a committee, but it's so much more than that. The work of the church, it's that, you know, the gospel, it heals the brokenhearted. The gospel helps us to see and to care for and to empower the poor. And the gospel, it sets people free who are bound in prisons of doubt and fear and anxiety and you know, selfishness. The, the gospel kind of leads people into liberty, freedom, uh, just power in a, in a way that is just beyond themselves. 
And these things then are the work of the church. The, it's the, the gospel is kind of renewing lives, it's changing neighborhoods. That's, that's the vision of the way, right? This is what we're, this is what we're all gathered for. It's, when I think about that, it's like, oh man. Setting captives, you know, free, like changing broken hearts, renewing neighborhoods, it's, it's kind of impossible. It's just impossible. But you know, that's, that's kind of the whole point. It is impossible. It's impossible for you and me. But what is actually impossible for you and me in all of our talents, it's, it's very possible for God and the gifts that he's given to his body of people here. The work of the church, it actually takes us, and I know this is kind of strange for us in a Presbyterian setting, right? It's, it's, it's a supernatural work that we're talking about. And I know sometimes we get nervous when we talk about the Holy Spirit, but when we're talking about renewing neighborhoods and changing lives and healing the brokenhearted, none of us can do those things. But that's the very point of these spiritual gifts. They do things that none of us in all of our accomplishments and all of our natural abilities and all of our brains, we just cannot do. But the Holy Spirit manifesting in you and me and this person sitting next to you that's very possible. So, you know, gifts, they're about kind of, the, the only way really to discover gifts, to kind of uncover them in you and me, it's, it's really to, to do what is actually impossible. In other words, it's kind of, we have to put ourselves, and really risk putting ourselves in situations where our abilities are not gonna take us to. I know that's kind of freaky and scary, putting ourselves in places where we, I, we know our abilities are not going to be able to do it, so that we actually see that, well, the Holy Spirit actually is empowering and moving and has already gifted you for those things. And this is the work of the church. This is what, this is what Paul is talking about, these things that are supernatural, and that's what it means. This is beyond what any of us can actually do. So just to kind of wrap up here, this is, you know, it is a tall task. It's, it's about for the common good in a way that is going to bring new life to our neighbors, our neighborhoods. And this is, this is what God has called us to. And uh, just kind of, I'll just kind of wrap it up with this last image. I don't know why I was thinking about this, but, um, you know, if, uh, if gifts are like a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, kind of like a smile is a manifestation of joy. I don't know if you've ever done this or seen this, but you know, I'm a parent, I've got a six-year-old. He's at that age where you know, if he's kind of grumpy or if he's kind of afraid or he's mad or something like that, he's, you know, he's in a mood, right? And then if something funny happens, do you know what happens with a six-year-old? Like, you know he wants to laugh, but he doesn't laugh. Because, oh, that's not funny, right? That's, that's what he does to me all the time now. And when he does that, I can see bubbling under the surface that there's something that wants to come out, but his fear or his pain or his anger just kind of doesn't let it come out. And I just see this kind of almost discombobulation in him. Like, oh, 
this is going to come out, but I'm not letting it come out. And I just kind of wonder sometimes for us as believers, that sort of discombobulation of, oh, this is something coming out, but for, uh, for some reason, I'm not, I'm holding on to something. The Holy Spirit sits in each and every single one of us like a smile is a manifestation of joy. The Holy Spirit is, is, is wanting to manifest gifts in us, and sometimes we're just holding on to something that's not letting it come out for some reason. Maybe it's our fear. Maybe it's our, like, I trust my abilities more than this spirit who's kind of scary and beyond me. But really, the spirit wants to express through you things that are way beyond you. What Paul says in Corinthians is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from our own hang-ups, freedom from our own fears, and really freedom to express what he has already given to each and every single one of us. And when we look about our neighborhoods, we we look at the needs that are there, and looking at what God has really called his people to do, healing broken heart, all those things that we mentioned, is way beyond us, but together, right? With all the gifts that that God is working in all of us, these things are very possible if we just let the Spirit trust in Him and sit upon the word that He's given to us and let those things really be expressed in ways full of faith and really full of joy. And this is that good life. It, It might mean emptying. It might be sacrificial giving. It might be sacrificial time but it is that generous life that is really the good life. Let's pray together. Our God, our Heavenly Father, we, you know, we come before you. We, we know we've been disappointments in so many different ways. Uh, we, we've maybe even disappointed ourselves or maybe uh, things that we don't even want to kind of look at, but we thank you that our disappointments and our, our fears are are not too big for your grace and your goodness that covers over us and that you still fill your people. And if you feel empty or feel kind of discombobulated or whatever is kind of worthless or maybe intimidated by somebody else, whatever it is, your spirit fills and gives for purposes that are far beyond us. So help us to hold on to that with hope and to follow in faith and really to, to live in a way that's joy-filled, the way your spirit wants us to be, so we might love and give and serve others. This is your good life that you have prepared for us. We pray. We pray for your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.